are here, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We're in a series uh, titled It's Good to Be Us. And basically the concept behind this series is really talking about the foundations of what makes the harbor the harbor. You know, I think it's so important for us to understand that really culture really drives what we do. Because it defines who we are. You know, culture is everything. And culture is, is, is fueled by values and fueled by things that we, we, we give our lives to. And so we're looking at some of those over the course of this series. And today we're going to continue along those lines. And this is a massive value to us that I'm going to be teaching on today. And it's the value that every single life matters to God. Every life. Not only the lives that are sitting in this room this morning, but the lives in our region, the lives in our nation, the lives around the world. Every single person that has ever been born, that lives on the planet right now, matters to God. You know, we're not here on Sunday mornings doing what we do for the number of people that attend and the number of people that watch and the number of people that will listen to the messages. We're here to equip for the six million other people in the region. I mean, we don't have just faith for a church. We have faith for a city. Our eyes are on the city. And and right now, I think it's like 2% of the six million people living in this region are wholehearted followers of Jesus. And their lives matter to God. How many of you believe that? Their lives matter to Jesus. They were created for a specific purpose. So we're going to look into that concept today. And we're going we're gonna to deal today with this whole um, thing called calling. Everybody say calling. <laughs> I think calling is, is very misunderstood. Has been for many years. The Lord is, is bringing clarity to our understanding of what calling actually is all about and, 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 and how all of this fleshes itself out in our vocation. I know this is painful, but everybody say work. You know, this, this, this may not be a theology that you've considered, but, you know, in the fall, one of the fruits of the fall was that the toil of our, or our labor which was actually uh, a reflection of God's nature, um, was was affected by the fall where where it became a a toil. It became burdensome, right? Because God worked. And on the seventh day, it says that he rested, right? So in the nature of the Lord, in his vocation, because how many of you know when we get to heaven, we're not, you know, as, as Greek of an influence as the the church has had affected, which is negative in in this Greek mythological kind of perspective, we're not going to be sitting around floating on clouds and eating bonbons for the rest of eternity. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but we are going to be at work. We're going to be doing things. We're going to be up to stuff. And I think the effect of, of, of the fall, I think we still kind of live under that mentality. You know? TGIF, right? You know, thank God it's Friday. Um, when, when, 
when the redemption of if the redemption of Christ was to put at bay all the effects of sin, how many of you know that that also entailed the effect of sin over work? So we're going to look into a little bit of that. Just a little teaser this morning, all right? But if you would look with me, this is a pretty intense verse starting off, and, and, and forgive me, but it's the one that I felt like we were to launch off with today out of Ezekiel chapter 16, beginning in verse 4, all right? And really, this, just setting this verse up, it, it's, it's the culture of the world post-fall, okay? This is, this is how the world is influenced by the tactics of our adversary and how it affects us and our lives or the way that we feel at times. Because we're going to go after something this morning, um, and it's the fact that I, I believe... All of us sitting in this room have asked the question at one point or another, does my life really matter? And then we're going to follow that up with, is what I'm currently doing making a difference? Does it really matter? We've been influenced by some of the, the language that we see here in this verses that he's talking about with the fall. Look what it says. On the day you were born, no one cared about you. This is for all of humanity. Your umbilical cord was not cut. You were never washed, rubbed with salt, and wrapped in cloth. Verse 5. No one had the slightest interest in you. No one pitied or cared for you. On the day you were born, you were unwanted, dumped in a field, and left to die. Now, if we just stop, a pretty depressing study in the Word of God this morning, right? The gospel is always interwoven in to the pain, the lostness, and the brokenness of humanity There is always hope and redemption in Christ. So look what it says in the following verse. God is speaking. But I came by and saw you there, helplessly kicking about in your own blood. And as you laid there, I said, say it with me, live. Say it with me again. And I came by and spoke over you and said, live. This is the voice of the Lord over a generation. The biggest question I think we all face at times, whether you're facing it today, you might face it tomorrow, you might face it a year from now, that little voice is going to whisper into your head at some season of your life. And it's going to cause you to question and ask, do I really matter? If God has come to give life, how many of you know that there's an opposite spirit that has come to bring? You know, there's been times, and this may surprise you, where Wendy and I have asked the question, wow, are what we really doing and who we really are as people Does it even matter? 
You ever been there? In those dark moments when you even have that scary little voice come to your head and say, man, does my life, does my life even mean anything? And when it gets really scary, when you say, maybe I'd be better off if I was dead. Or, soften it a little bit, I would just rather go and be with the Lord. I mean, Paul struggled with that. He actually told the churches, he said, listen, my desire, honestly, all I'm walking through, things I've been through, I just want to go be with Jesus. Now, that was probably out of a a really deep place of intimacy, but I'm sure there were times as well where he felt like, man, am I really making a difference? He was planning churches and things, all kinds of problems would happen. At one, one moment there was life flowing, the next moment there was, there was death on the scene. This is a reality of our lives at times. But here's the thing. Ingrained in the DNA of the human heart is a longing for significance. Every single person in this room, every single person that will listen to this message and is watching now all over the world, there is a longing in the human heart to have a life that is significant. And the enemy is the master at trying to beat us up as humanity and tell us that our lives are not significant whatsoever. And if it's happening with Wendy and I, and has happened and will happen, these things that I've just described, for sure I know what's happening to you. Will happen to you. Is happening to you. You see, the emotion of this longing to be significant can vacillate up and down based on how we feel, come on somebody, about the current contribution that our life is bringing to the planet right now. Sometimes you feel like, man, I am in my element and I am doing what I was made to do. And there are other seasons when you don't feel like you're doing anything that you were created to do. I don't know, maybe I'm not preaching to anybody that can resonate with what I'm saying this morning. There are are times, and I I call it the battlefield of the mind. It's like, man, you're just trying to just just get through this headspace and make it to another day. Is what we're doing even making a difference? Do our lives matter? Am I living a life of significance? This is going on in the human heart because it's ingrained in our DNA. So we need some clarity from the word of the Lord on it. All right? So let's look at that clarity in Romans chapter 5. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 27. We're going to begin there. Oh. The word of the Lord is so powerful. In fact, Father, would you just illuminate it for us today? Would you just give us insight today? Would you open it up to us today? It's only by your grace that we can see and we can hear. In Jesus' name. So if significance is in the heart of every human, Paul is saying here, God, who is the searcher of the heart, Knows, he says, look at the language, fully our longings. 
How does he know our longings? Because he created us with these longings. He also understands the desires of the spirit of a man and a woman. How many of you know we're spirit? We're, we're, yes, we're flesh and we live in this world, but there's otherworldly DNA in us because we're spiritual people, whether we know that or not. Come on, every single person out there on the streets is wondering, man, is this all life is about? And the reason they ask that question is because they're spirit people. And they have longings, and God knows these longings. He knows the, 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 the longings of their heart, and he says that the, 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 the spirit understands And so the Holy Spirit, he says, passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones, look at this, in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. This is where it's another teaching for another time, but prayer, praying in the Spirit, these kind of things, how how they're they're tied to this very verse and to see a release over this kind of a a breakthrough in our lives where where we begin to come into alignment See, prayer is agreement. It's, it's, it's not just us filling up, you know, a room with a bunch of words like, Father, pray, I pray for my grandfather and my uncle and my aunt and I pray for my co. No, it's, it's, it's hearing and agreeing. Like putting language out there and say, Father, I hear what you're And that can come from the word of the Lord. It can come from God speaking to your, to your little heart. And then you, you come into agreement and then... It, to agreement is what brings harmony. This is what the, the, the Lord is after in the church. He's, he's a, a harmonized voice. If you ever, you know, hear singers and they're not in harmony, it, it is bad, bad, right? If you can't sing and you're singing by yourself, you're not in harmony with yourself either. It's really bad. Right? But God's plan, he wants us in a place of harmony, and he's going to bring us into that place of harmony. And this is all happening. The harmony comes for a very specific purpose. Look at the next verse. It's so that we can be convinced. Come on. So that we can be convinced. This is really important language. That every detail of our lives is continually woven together, fit into God's perfect plan. Okay, what, wait a minute. Let's get, let's get practical here. What he's saying is, is that every season, whether we feel, oh my God, I'm changing the world right now, or oh my God, I don't even know if I'm even barely existing. And this is tied right on up into our vocation and our circumstances and things that we're doing or not doing. But it's all somehow woven together to fit into God's perfect. Come on. Listen, I look back on our lives and our different, the different aspects of our journeys and there were, there, on our journey. And there was times when I was like miserable. I'm going to share an example of that today. But I, I see now that God was working everything out, ultimately even for my good. The crazy thing is, even when we're 
were off the rails and out there in left field. He's still maneuvering good stuff into our lives through even our bad experiences. It's crazy. Because he's fitting all this together, he says, into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. Everybody whisper good. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. Wow. So... Here's this word called. Let's, let's take a little look at calling for a minute because there's a ton of confusion when it comes to calling. And, and I want to say that first and foremost, we're going to cover the, the, the full gamut of this whole thing called calling, but first and foremost, did you know that calling is more about who we are than what we do? And I'm going, to be, I'm going to be honest with you. I know a lot of pastors that are in ministry because we think, oh, that's really calling. No, it's, it's really not. It's a really small, super small percentage. But those people that we think are really in their calling, a lot of them don't even know who they are. That's the truth. I'm hanging out with a bunch of guys in our region that are having wake-up calls to, like, who they really are. And they're seeing how how long they've been in this thing called what I do that hasn't been working for them too well. So the foundation of calling is not what we do primarily. It's who we are. So Paul continues, same contextual verses here in verse 29. Look at this. He says, for he knew all about us before we were born. And here's the calling. He destined us from the beginning to do what? Share in the likeness of his son. Let's just think about that for a minute. Calling primarily, and this is for every single person that's ever been created and born, the primary desire of God's heart is for them to share in the likeness of his son. What? I want you to really think about that for a minute. You, I want you to look at the life of Jesus in the word of God and see his nature, his character, his persona. And then I want you to speak back to yourself and say, that's who I was supposed to be. That is the purpose for which I have been born. This is my primary calling. Wow. In fact, he says, he, he kind of likens it to a family. You know, Wendy was talking about this with generational inheritance. It's, and you can be first generation or you can be tenth generation. The point is, is this principle lines up. He says, this mean, means the son is the oldest among a vast family, brothers and sisters, who will become just like him. What do you mean, Darren? I don't have religious permission to live in brokenness all of my life? 
absolutely not. Because Jesus paid for more than that kind of a life. Oh my gosh. This is the good news that is being preached for the world that that needs desperate hope because they're so broken and so much pain. I was talking to an individual the other day who was in a hospital. It was actually a psychiatric psychiatric hospital and 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 some of the, the nurses and caretakers were telling this individual that there's four and five year old kids that just want to jump off of a building because their life and their home is filled with so much pain. Come on. We need to see the likeness of Jesus manifest in the world today. And if that can manifest in you, which is totally possible because he already resides on the inside, we just have to let him have his way in our hearts. Do you know what kind of change that's going to bring to the world? We try to change the world by coming up with all these really good ideas when the good idea lives on the inside of us and just longing to get out. Come on, give it up for the Lord. That's amazing good news. Come on. It's awesome. Look, look, look about destiny and purpose. Look at verse 30. He says, having determined our destiny ahead of time, he has called us to himself and transferred here, oh, transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he has called. Well, Darren, that's not for me. That's only for the pastor or the worship leader. They're the only ones that can really look like Jesus and walk like God. No, that's a lie. It's the whole army of Christ. It's the whole body of Jesus. And those he possesses, who who he possesses, his perfect righteousness, he has glorified, co-glorified with his son. It's amazing language right there. Like, talk about value. This is where, I remember when I, when I started doing ministry in, in, in India, the nation of India. And if you don't know much about India, they have a caste system over in India. And a lot of the very low caste was coming to Jesus when I was there in the, the, the late 1900s. Um, I age well. Come on, somebody. The late 1990s. In fact, one of the casts that was coming to Christ so profoundly is this caste that in the eyes of the Indian culture, they're not even valued as humans. True story. But you see, when people that are living in that antichrist cultural system discover that they have a calling to be co-glorified with Jesus? Oh my God! Wait a minute. I mean, we're talking about the creator of all things. The one who formed India. The one who made all the Indians living in India. And they discover that they are co-glorified with this creator? 
And they're being told by their culture that they don't matter and they're not even human, they're subhuman. This is where when we get out there, this is so attractive to the world and attractive to people that have been told they're nothing and they're nobodies and they don't matter and their life isn't significant. That's a bunch of garbage. They were created in the beauty of Jesus and they were created in their destiny to be just like him and to be co-glorified with him. Oh, it's heating up in here a little bit. That's, that, that is amazing, profound hope, in my opinion. This, this part of our calling, I, I want to I call it faithful presence in the earth. Not about what we do, but who we are. Are you hearing me? There is something very powerful about you and I just being faithfully present in whatever situation that we're in. Now for all the AD&D people in the room like myself, who have a hard time with just being present and want to boom, 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 get on to the next thing, this has been a big thing that God's had to work on my heart, right? Because I want to see movement. I remember Jason Upton, who's a worship leader, he was, he was visiting us, and he was asking me how long I'd been pastoring this church, and I said, 16 years. And he, he, he did one of these. He was like, wow, wow, that's amazing. And I was kind of taken back. I was like, he's like, Darren, that's a really long time to be faithfully present doing what you've been doing. That's incredible. In fact, if you look life of most pastors and leaders and, and or any leader for that, even in the corporate world now, it's, it's, it's the, the, the lifespan to be in whatever role is very short, it's very small. And, and, and I just want to emphasize this, that, that, that God is, is, is wanting us as he is forming us and fashioning us in, into the likeness of a son, which is a finished work that is processed for sure, about being faithfully present. Here's the killer, though. You know what the killer is? Comparison. And I love social media, but it is a real tool for the comparison death blow to come to your little human heart when you're just trying to be faithfully present with what God's calling you to do. It's a real deal. Because you're looking at your peers or whoever it is, you know, portraying whatever portrayal they're, they're, they're putting out there of their best life, you know, so to speak. And, and, man, you're going, man, what's messed up with mine right now? Why is this happening? So this is where I see this tying into vocation because in our vocation, we're called to be faithfully present in our vocation. All the millennials say Amen. We were, I was away this last week at a Sunshine, uh, not Sunshine, I was away, away this week at a Church United Leadership Team Retreat. And at this retreat, we went to uh, the Westgate River Ranch up in Central Florida, 
awesome place. I was like, where did that place, where was that place when my kids were young? I wish I would have known about it. It has, it's like a dude ranch, it has a rodeo, it has horseback riding, it has all this stuff. So I was up there, and the first part of our conversation with the pastors was, tell us about the worst job you've ever had, you know? And so a lot of them were saying all these jobs from high school, and I was like, man, the worst job I ever had was actually while I was planning this church. Not the church itself. Let me qualify that real quick. While I was planning the church, we, we had some missionary support. We lost that support. And I needed to go and earn, and earn a living outside of what the church was able. In fact, I wasn't taking any salary. Didn't take any money from the church for the first four years. And so I was earning a living working for Sunshine Tour Company which was basically taking fourth grade kids from here to St. Augustine to look at the lighthouse, the, the, the castle that's up there, Ripley's Believe It or Not. It was an amazing experience. So we'd get up at like three in the morning. I mean, it was, it was really, I mean, it was one of those jobs. And man, I, had, I could tell you story after story after story. You know, from moms yelling at me because their kid didn't like the chicken fink they had for lunch. One time we actually had, uh, you know, this old bus that we had to take up because the other bus, something didn't go through with the company that we originally had booked it with. The, the tire blew out on the bus, and here we are stranded on the side of the road. The parents are just losing it. We're not going to get to St. Augustine on time. We're not going to make it. They're looking at me. They're pointing their finger at me. What kind of organization is this that you're running? And then I look, and the kids are all throwing up on the bus because their parents are up up and upset, you know. It was awful. Now, you got to understand, this is is where you got to understand a little context here because at 22, when Wendy and I were married, I was a corporate executive getting mentored by the richest man in the world, Sam Walton, who founded the Walmart company. And then prior to moving here, we'd helped plant a church that now is 65,000 members, and, and we were seeing tons of success. And now I'm on this bus on the highway to hell between here and St. Augustine. Come on, somebody. And the voice of the adversary was in my ear saying, you are such a failure. And I actually believed him for a little while. I came into agreement with that. You're right. (laughs) I am. But I remember like there was this moment when the Lord was like, Son, I am so proud of you that you'd be willing to earn $495 a trip to support your family on the bare bones of living for the sake of my bride in South Florida. Well done. Because you got to frame it. It's all about perspective on where you're going. And so much of what God is wanting to work on the inside of us is being faithfully present where we are and letting that Christ-like nature be fashioned in the midst of it. Some of the 
the most powerful people I know have some stories just like this, that, man, they were willing to do whatever it took to get to where they were being called to go. You see, this was, I have a quote here, it was fashioning a foundation of faithful presence so that I could have greater capacity for a fruitful presence that was to come. Because we're going to move into the next part. We're not just called just to be faithful, but we're called to be fruitful. Because you can get religiously weird in this and be like, oh, I'm just being faithfully present. And you're like 85 years old and you're still working for Sunshine Tours. (laughs) There was a time for me to move on. Can I get an amen? Amen. Because we're called to be fruitful. Faithful and fruitful. And the fruitful presence really comes in our vocation. And, and I just want to hit here. I'm talking about stuff that's not ministry. It's not ministry at all in terms of like what you're seeing right now. Like some guy standing on a stage like speaking to you. Unless you're called to this, you don't want this. And this actually is to equip people to actually go and do real ministry. This isn't ministry. This is equipping people to actually go and do ministry. So hold with me here because it's real important. i got to get the vocation. There's two primary categories for vocation. Leadership and craftsmanship, I'm calling it. Leadership is only, you got to understand this, is only about 5% of the population. Now, my generation, everybody had aspired to be a leader. I just want to be a leader. It's about 5% of people that have been designed by God, listen to me, that have been designed by God to lead other people. 95% of the human population is called to be a craftsman in a specific space. I'm going to explain what I mean in just a minute. But in fact, right now in Europe, we, I was just in a coaching seminar last week by this guy um, from the Netherlands. And he was saying right now in Europe, they're actually advertising jobs with corporations over here saying, you, if you come to work for us, you don't have to lead. You just have to do your job really, really well. That's craftsmanship. It's, 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 it's called mastery. This is a very important word, mastery. Do you know in Jesus, we're called to master, like by his grace, the life that we're supposed to live with the utmost excellence and beauty? Come on, come on. Everything we do, we're supposed to do the best. I, was, I mean, this may sound crazy to you, but I was out working on my yard the other day because I, I was shaping up a bed on the front yard, and I needed to transfer a tree into that, into that bed. And I was like, Lord, help me to shape and craft this to the best of I want my house and the reflection of my house in the, in the little piece of treasure that you've given me to steward to be the best reflection in my neighborhood. Because people are drawn to that. They're attracted to that. They're like, there's something of an excellent spirit that's on your life that I want. Where does that come from? That's why, I mean, this may sound crazy, but I keep my car meticulously clean. 
And my car has been a 2001 Toyota Camry that I got from my parents. It's been a, a 2000, 2000 Toyota 4Runner, and I'm out there vacuuming that thing. I'm shining that thing because I want my old car. Come on, somebody. I just got a different car. It wasn't a new one, but, man, it took me 50 years. But I take care of my stuff. In fact, if I borrow something, I'm going to and I found it. So, because I, I've had to come to, to discover, like, I'm a leader. Like, if I wasn't doing the church thing, I'd be a leader. So I was a leader before. I'm going to be a leader wherever I'm going to go. I, I worked at a car wash before I went to South Carolina, and I, w- I became the leader of that car wash. Working at the car wash. Second worst job. Not far behind. But think about this. In us sharing in the likeness of Jesus, the likeness of Jesus, who was a carpenter, by the way, a craftsman. What if we were the most industrious people in our region? Industrious meaning. I want you to think about this for a second. What if every single person that was doing whatever job in our region just all of a sudden quit doing their job? What would happen to our region? Think about it. The region would implode. We're able to derive value because of the industry in this region that everybody is employed in from small to great. When I was in the hospital, I was watching this go down. I mean, the, the, the people that were bringing the meals and stuff or the people cleaning the rooms, you know, we through our little judgment lens, we think, man, they're not really important. They're totally important. If they weren't in there cleaning my room, I would have been in a MRSA tornado, right? Because they weren't in there taking my bed sheets away and I probably wouldn't have gotten better. Do you understand? Like, I was like, oh my God, thank, I was like, this is what I was doing with all of them. Thank you so much for what you do. And they would look at me like I was crazy. I was like, no, thank you. The, the lady that brought me the meals, I would ask for three bottles of water, and every time she would bring me those three bottles of water, and I'd just be like, listen, you have no idea how valuable your vocation is to me right now. I can't drink the unfiltered water that is being brought to me at night. I need those bottles of water even though they're polluting the ocean. I need those bottles of water. It's all about me right now. Innovative. What if we were people that said, how could this be done better? What about the, sp- the sign spinner that's advertising the local? Well, maybe you spin the sign like, you know, helicopter over your head. I don't know how you do it better. But what if we were so innovative, everything we did, we did better? What if we were influential? What if we were affecting other people's lives in the space that we're in, in, in a significant way? What if we were ingenuous? What if we... We're able to adapt and, and create and manifest life in the midst of a very complex culture. Parenting. 
a mom. I'm just a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad. Come on. That's the greatest vocation on the planet right now. What if you were ingenuous in that space and learning how to parent kids in a region that's so complex to see them filled with life? Come on, somebody. I mentioned innovative. I mean, that's, that's so important, done better. You know, just new things being created. I mean, think about it. What if we didn't have innovation in medical community? No anesthesia? I'm like a really big fan of anesthesia. Huge. I mean, when they were looking at my leg and there was talk like, well, if it doesn't get better, we may have to take the, the toe off or take the foot off. or like, I'm like, well, that's a bummer, but give me some anesthesia. I mean, think about back in the day, man. It's like a bottle of rum and a, and a, and a hacksaw. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> rough. Come on, somebody. Just lighten up a little bit. It's, it's fun in here. It's a big living room. Okay, this is a big living room. I'm closing with this. There's an all-out war against being faithful and fruitful. And Paul says in verse 31... Back to Romans, he says, what does all this mean? If God is determined to stand with us, tell me, who then could ever stand against us? Verse 32, for God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold anything else that he has to give us. In other words, you know what that means? That means that everything you need to be successful, he's going to pour out into your life. Just ask him. Lord, I don't feel very faithful or I don't feel very fruitful right now. I need something from heaven. Who then would dare accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them. Not guilty. You're not a failure. You're not stupid. You're valuable. All those lies, he's going to pull them down. Who is left then to condemn us? Verse 34. Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one, for he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he's conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. But how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? You know what our eschatology is here? It's triumphal. Even if things get bad, it's going to get better for us. Who could ever separate us, verse 5, from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has power to diminish his love towards us. Troubles, pressures, problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, nations? That's no, all impotent to hinder the omnipotent one. Ezekiel 16, 8, would you guys stand with me? Back to that verse that we started off with. Look at this. This is so amazing. Faithful presence. Fruitful presence. He said, when you were faithful and you grew, 
And I passed by again and saw that you were old enough for love. I wrapped my cloak around you to cover your nakedness and declared my marriage vows. I made a covenant with you, says the sovereign Lord. You became mine. Look at verse 9. Then I bathed you and washed off your blood and I rubbed fragrant oils on your skin. Look at this, verse 10. I gave you expensive clothing, fine linen and silk and beautiful embroiderment and sandals made of fine gold. And I gave you lovely jewelry and bracelets and beautiful necklaces and rings for your nose, earrings for your ears and a lovely crown for your head. Verse 13, you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothes were made of fine linen and costly fabric were beautiful and you ate the finest foods, choice flour, honey and olive oil and became more beautiful than ever. This is bad language, but he says you look like a queen and so you were. Close your eyes. He says, your fame soon spread throughout the world because of your beauty. And I dressed you in my splendor and perfected your beauty, says the sovereign Lord. Father, would you come and awaken our hearts to the fame of Jesus. That is fame that we're going to be co-glorified and share in. We are sharing in right now. Hear this from a father heart. But you are beautiful. You are valuable. And your life matters more than you can even imagine. And whether you find yourself in a season of being a faithful presence or a fruitful presence, it's all woven together for the sake of bringing forth God's will into the earth for such a time as this. Could we just give the Lord a huge hand clap of praise for this beautiful gospel? Come on. Come on, let's do it. Let's really worship him in this place. You are worthy, God. You are so good. You are so good. We're going to go back into a song of worship. We're going to have our ministry teams come forth. And maybe you've really been battling with that voice of the accuser. Just partnership and an agreement here this morning with the will of God that's over your life. We'll spend to and ministry to you in this space. God bless you guys. Have an amazing rest of your beautiful Sunday. In Jesus' name.